Hi, I'm Prophet Nati. Thanks for listening to the Caribbean Cannabis Channel. Meditate with us every Monday as we seek to educate you on the latest developments and personal stories of those shaping the cannabis economy across the region. Now here's your program. So joining us today is Teresa Kozak. She has been involved in the cannabis industry for many, many years. The wealth of experience, knowledge, sound wisdom will be shared throughout the, the podcast. So Teresa, I just want to thank you for taking the time to actually join us here on the Caribbean Cannabis um, channel. How are you today? Oh, thank you for having me. I'm I'm doing well, actually. Um, I'm in Canada right now. I just returned from Jamaica, and so I'm um, getting used to the snow. <laughs> it started snowing here already. Um, so yeah, I, other than, you know, dealing with a little bit of the cold weather, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Okay, that's awesome. I always have wavering thoughts about the cola. I'm, I'm always a fan of more tropical areas. I mean, well, I'm, I'm from Trinidad, so I guess I'm, that's why even just to the EC, I'm below 20, kinda. Oh, I doesn't even want to think about it. Yeah, it's it's like three degrees right now. <laughs> that's that's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, and I think about the tropics as well. I I can't wait to get back to Jamaica <laughs> and have a bit of warmth around me. See, and I thought you just came back from Jamaica. What were you doing in Jamaica? Was it cannabis involved, vacation? Yeah, I've been doing. I've been kind of coming back and forth um, from Jamaica since May. It started off with doing some work with Itopia Life, which is one of the uh, cannabis dispensaries in Kingston. And um, the reason I, I came to Jamaica essentially was because I had worked in cannabis dispensaries in Canada in the past um, when they were in the gray market area. So the way that um, the Canadian cannabis system was established was there was a medical program like Jamaica and people had to, um, they were living with certain conditions which would qualify them for cannabis access. So if someone was living with cancer or severe types of arthritis, you know, their doctor could prescribe them cannabis as medicine. What ended up happening was the government was the only supplier of cannabis at that time. So, and they only had one strain. So it's like taking an Advil for everything or lemon kush or lemon skunk for everything, right? It just didn't fit for people. Um, so the gray market developed itself and said, you know what? We can fill the needs for patients. We can provide cannabis and a variety of cannabis that will work for people and their various conditions. And so we were, we were for all intents and purposes, an, an illegal, uh, entity because we weren't operating within the law, but the work that we were doing there was to really assist people so that they could gain access and be medical patients within the system that Health Canada had established. Yeah, so because I had done that work in Canada for a number of years, um, what I had seen was sort of that that change in structure around what is helpful for people when they're looking to access cannabis as medicine. And I was able to bring that expertise to Itopia Life. Like they in Jamaica already had a herb house set up. People were coming to see physicians. But there's different operations that could be put into place that would improve that experience for folks. And that was partly what I was there for. Um, and then I was also there for education. So because Jamaica only, it was only what, 2015 in which the medical program, right, opened up in Jamaica, 
there hasn't been a lot of opportunity other than like personal growth or personal development for people to learn what it means to work in the cannabis industry. You know, people who work in this space, we're, we're experts, like we're dealing with a medicine and, and cannabis isn't just one substance. I mean, there's trichomes, there's flavonoids, there's terpenes, there's all of these elements combined together, which impact the way cannabis is experienced by the individual, you know, either medically or recreationally. And so, you know, Itopia Life and myself looked at, okay, how do we share this knowledge with people so that even if they're in the industry or not in the industry, they can appreciate, okay, we have access to cannabis now. It's decriminalized as well. What are the things that people should be considering when, when purchasing or consuming this product? So that's sort of me in a nutshell there. Okay, awesome. Actually, I didn't know that at one point there was only one strain that the government was providing uh, within Canada. So that's something uh, I'll be taking home. Uh, in terms of the, the, the transition though, from Canada into Jamaica, what was the similarities and the differences that you, you saw coming into this market? I really see Jamaica as being um, much more progressive, actually, than what Canada was. Because in 2015, Jamaica opened up and said, okay, we have a medical market. We have herb houses where people can go and consume cannabis, you know, freely, which that didn't exist in Canada. We still don't have spaces where people can, outside of their home, they can consume cannabis, you know, publicly and safely. So I think it, it took Canada from basically 2001 until 2015 to develop a market where licensed producers were then able to provide more than one strain, where licensed producers were invited to grow and distribute cannabis, whereas Jamaica did that right off the bat. They're like, okay, let's have herb houses, let's have varieties available for people. So I think that they're ahead there. Um, I think also Jamaica is ahead in the sense that they've identified and give space for cannabis to be a sacrament within the Rastafari indigenous cultures. Um, that is a big piece of work where I'd say Canada or Canada has not done well. Um, there's, it's been very slow for there to be inclusion of our indigenous communities in the cannabis industry, um, let alone it's not recognized as a sacrament in any way. So I think Jamaica is amazing in that sense to say, you know what, this is, this is a substance which people consume to bring themselves closer to, um, Ja or, or a divine being. You know, they, you know, attempt to include traditional farmers. I also think is in a step that's, um, more advanced than Canada because we, um, while we have what we would call like craft markets, there isn't been the same sort of access to include folks that were, again, consuming because of sacramental or growing because of sacramental purposes. But I do know that there's a lot of barriers in Jamaica as well, like financially in terms of cost for traditional farmers to participate in a program and traditional cultivators to participate. So there is some work that needs to be done there. I wanted to, to get a better understanding in terms of when you're in Canada, what would you say is like the involvement from the Indigenous community yeah, so there are some groups, um, indigenous groups that are advocating for, um, the distribution of cannabis across Canada, the cultivation and distribution. And there are some bands that are coming together. There has also been some work around, um, distribution of cannabis 
uh, on um, reserve lands as well. And even when the programs had started as a medical program, the Indigenous community was tax exempt from when they purchased cannabis as medicine. Whereas one of the challenges for Canadians, any medical patient right now is there's still tax, you know, attached to, you know, what is supposed to be your medicine. Um, and it's the only medicine that is taxed in that way. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, there, while there is some engagement with the Indigenous community, we also need to look at like how cannabis has criminalized people in Canada, particularly persons of color, people that are living in poverty, and think about ways that not only beyond just expunging people for their records, but looking at ways that, you know, communities can become more involved in developing and having businesses within this space, which is just really, really challenging when there's these financial barriers there. Yeah, I've heard a lot about the financial issues, not just in Jamaica, but even in Canada, as you said, and parts of the U.S. where persons of color, indigenous people, etc., they have that difficulty actually entering the the industry because of the high capital it, it takes to actually get started. I know that they have, parts of the U.S., they started what you call the social equity program. Um, I'm not too sure why you have been working in both Canada and Jamaica, if you have seen similar programs um, developed as persons such as that. That's not something, I mean, I can speak to and in, in from a Jamaican perspective. Um, and I also, yeah, I think I could, if I can like pass by this question, I don't know what has developed in Canada in terms of social equity. Because from what I see when I go places is that it's still very much a white <laughs> industry. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure where the equity is happening aside from, you know, there's some appreciation for the lack of inclusion and diversity of folks that have been otherwise criminalized in this space. But I, I have not seen a, a huge uptake in businesses that are owned by persons of color or indigenous folks. It, it, it's still very small in, in my understanding. Yeah, it, de- it definitely is because actually last night um, I was reading a, re- a report in terms of the percentage of both women as well as um, different minor- minority groups involvement. And a couple of years back, I believe like 2017, the involvement of both women as well as persons of color and other minority groups was actually high compared to other industries. But going from 2019 even into 2021, um, what would have taken place is that you would have seen a, a decline in these groups, both women as well as persons of color, where you saw white males especially um, now starting to take up more executive um, positions in different companies. I guess that's something for everyone to actually be mindful, be mindful of. And to work, in, work together, we'll create um, collaborations, um, cooperatives, I, I believe, so that you'll have the capital to actually start. But going into your actual connection with um, Itopia Life, how was that connection um, formed? How was that partnership developed? For sure. Um, the CEO of Itopia Life and I used to um, work together in Canada operating a dispensary. So it was a very... Uh, yeah, it was a network um, that I had established, and I was very excited to go down and share that connection with him. But what that led into is um, more so is my connection with the Rastafari Indigenous Village. Um, he introduced me to First Men, and from there we looked at the recreate business together. But 
Yeah, with Itopia Life. Um, yeah, so I came in through a friend and then spent a lot of my time observing just the operations that were existing there and understanding what the business felt was working well for them and making sure that those practices like were bigged up and that things were, you know, I wasn't there to change just because it was a Canadian model or things to come in. It was about, you know, what's, what is working well for people to come to Itopia and get cannabis as medicine? And how do we extend that so more and more people can come as well? Um, so I got the opportunity to connect with the marketing team about different strategies that they could use to bring Itopia's image forward. And you know what? It's interesting. Again, one of the differences between Canada and Jamaica around promotion is that there is no promotion that's really allowed within Canada. So when, when cannabis you know, was a medicine, we were never allowed to talk about it as a medicine. We could never say, you know, come to Itopia and try this lemon skunk and see see how you feel. Um, they would consider that as a breach of their guidelines. And, you know, Health Canada, I know, and Health Canada would put this, they were strict, and they would put out a disclaimer saying, you know, even though there's a medical program, we're still not sure if it's a medicine, and we're still not sure if it's, you know, something that you should consume. So, uh, you know, talk with your doctor and use it your own risk, basically. <laughs> Whereas, um, you know, in Jamaica, there's a lot of freedom to advertise. And and I think that that's something that can definitely be um, capitalized on to help people gain access and education around what is this as a medicine, not necessarily just a marketing tool, but what is this as a medicine? What is this as a substance? What is this as something that you use day to day just to feel well? Okay, awesome. It's, it's very great to hear the, the differences and you're referring to Jamaica as a more progressive place in terms of where can Canada probably would have started off at, or even where they probably are today. The capitalizing on on that marketing is is very important because cannabis is still seen as something taboo sometimes, or for a particular set of people and these different things. So actually being able to market it as that medicine, as a therapeutic tool, as a sacrament, these different things will allow more persons um that that opportunity to now access the the plant and not uh, see it as the devil's lettuce as um people <laughs> would have seen it as. In terms of your in terms of your partnership with Itopia Life, I would have seen that you all would have started an education program called Ganja Grooves. Yeah, so so tell me a little bit about Ganja Gurus and how that was conceptualized. The Ganja Guru program um, was really developed from a desire to educate people, Jamaicans, people in the Caribbean, hopefully people online, um, about cannabis. And the program encompasses, you know, what is cannabis as a plant? What is the cannabis as a medicine? What is it as a recreational substance? How do you cook with cannabis? What are the different ways you can consume cannabis? Um, what are the effects that you would feel? Full works. It's a, you know, it started off as a three day course, which we pared down to one day. Ideally, I, I'd love it to be like a show and tell space as well, where we have plants growing there in different phases while we're talking about the growth cycle. Um, there's lots of games involved in the course as well and lots of videos to really make it an engaging learning environment. So it's the last thing I want is to be lecturing for seven hours. You know, <laughs> it's the last thing. 
Um, and yeah, like we're getting people to, to talk about like what their experiences with cannabis and what they want to learn more about and, you know, why it's important for us to shift the stigma that exists. And just having a course in itself is, is the beginning of shifting stigma because people are having, you know, conversations about all of the aspects of the plant and the roles that it can play in life. So yeah, we, we developed it from that space around shifting stigma, ed- education, and then also just as a way for people to gain qualifications so that as the cannabis industry expands across the Caribbean, they can say, well, I've attended a course and I know about, you know, the plant's taxonomy and I know about its harvest cycle and I understand how it processes in the body. And, you know, they're, they're able to share that information with any other consumer or um, patient that they come in contact with. So... Yeah, it's about that education sharing as well. Awesome. And how often do you all um, have that program? Um, We're still new. I ran my first course last month, and we're looking at having another course in January. Um, Right now, we are um, very open to operating by request. (laughs) So if you want to have a course in Trinidad, um, I'd be happy to come down, do something there. But um, yeah, I think as, as needs develop, we'll adjust. Great, I, I definitely would take your, your offer of coming to Trinidad that offer for that course because we still need um a lot of education in terms of the different parts of dealing with cannabis, whether it's through your own personal use for if you're planning to open a business and these different things. Things that you you should con- consider. At the moment is is it only for persons who are in Jamaica or if you are outside of Jamaica you can participate in the the course? Right now it's uh, just a live course. It's a classroom course. But yeah, we're looking to shift, you know, online. But for now, it's a live course. And then there's a piece where we look at the Jamaican um, history and laws. But that that section obviously could be um, tailored to wherever it is that teaching would happen. It's like, I'm curious to know what, what the laws are in Trinidad. Like, is there a medical program that exists there? Or... Okay, so as of now, we, we are only decriminalized. So decriminalized for, for personal use. We haven't set up our uh, medical industry as yet. Um, there's a lot of politics involved with these things, as, as you know. So um, in 2019 is when we would have decriminalized up to 28 grams you're allowed to, allowed to have. 30 grams, my apologies. So just over that, that one ounce amount. So yeah, so that's basically where we are at. So right now, persons are sort of prepping themselves for when the industry does take off. So I know that a lot of persons are um, learning about the plant, how to grow it, um, how to actually package and label um, these different things. So still mainly an illicit market, but uh, as you know, I don't think that stops a lot of persons from wanting to learn more about the plant and interacting with it, which is which is great to, great to see. So... So it's decriminalized, but is how do people access? Is there a legal access source? No, that that's the funny thing about where we are at right now. So we're between a, a rock and a hard place, um, so to speak. So persons are allowed to grow as well. Um, each adult is allowed to grow up to four four plants. Persons will technically say that's where they are getting it, but you know, persons will still be selling illegally, and that's how persons mainly access access the plant at this point in time. Right, so there's no real market, no labeling to say, well, even for the Rastafari community or other indigenous persons who make use of the, the plant, 
um, it hasn't been fully labeled as a sacrament so that they could have their own specific amount to use on these different things. So we still have a, a long way to go. Hopefully the, the laws um, uh, change sooner rather than later so that we could join other places like Jamaica, Antigua and Barbuda, St. Vincent and even Barbados who is set on making a mark in the medical cannabis industry. We still have some growing to do so conversations like this as well help those who in Trinidad and Tobago learn more about how they can interact where they could get information about cannabis and who they could connect and network with to actually help grow the industry here when it does officially um, start off. Yeah, and it's been interesting because I've seen a lot of countries start from the place of medical access first before decriminalization or legalization. So to me, it's interesting that you are decriminalized first, but there isn't a medical program there. Yeah, that was uh, a surprise to a lot of advocates and persons who have been pushing for, for that industry. I'm not too sh- sure of the reason why they decided to. I think it's more so quote-unquote uncertainty that they kind of boil it down to. Not certain of how the plant will interact with persons as a medicine and these different things. So I think they just wanted to give persons that opportunity to sort of be familiarize themselves with the plant. I personally believe it was just a political ploy. Um, I don't, I'd really like to get into the politics of these things, but because we are a heavy politicized country, politics seeps into the day-to-day living of, of citizens. We have that going. We have that that we're going through right now in Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, and you know, you make a good point about the research that, like, even though Canada has had a medical program since you know two thousand. 2001, there hasn't been a lot of research that's been done to support cannabis as a medicine. Like there has been some, absolutely. And there's been some really great research and there's been great research around some specific conditions. Um, but if a country hasn't done that research for themselves, you know, it's hard for them to then say, oh yeah, this is a medicine for our people. You know, who's to say that cannabis is going to respond similarly to someone living in Trinidad versus someone living in Canada, just given, you know, genetics, for example. So, I mean, there's a good opportunity to draw on a lot of the existing research from places of other countries where it is legalized to then pull that in. And I think the cool thing about like the sacramental element of cannabis, one of the things I really appreciate that Jamaica did as well is they didn't put any limits on, you know, what a Rasta can possess or how much a Rasta can grow. So whereas like people in general can grow five plants at home in Jamaica or four plants at home in Canada, for the Rasta community, it's basically like grow, 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 <laughs> just, you know, enjoy, grow and share. And this is your sacrament and this is your herb. And I, and I appreciate that. I think the piece, the next step then is, you know, so this community is growing all of this herb. How does that then get reincorporated into the general economic system? You know, how do Rasta communities or indigenous communities, you know, then get to be distributors of their product and benefit from the economics of it? You know, or, or are there discussions being had about, you know, Rasta or indigenous folks are growing exorbitant amounts of herb, you know, can that be compressed into oils or fuels, you know, so looking at those types of opportunities for economic development, I think are really crucial as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I actually attended a panel um, discussion about cannabis and tourism in, in Jamaica. It was um, 
headed by university students and they would have involved persons from the rural community and um, Rastafari community um, to see how one, not just how they can use it as a sacrament, but as you said, incorporate it more into the day-to-day lives of persons, um, not just in the plant form, but in oils and these different things. And actually want to go a bit into that because I know that while in Jamaica, you would have established the Recreate, which is for therapeutic uses, which is sort of a a place where persons can come to, to relax, unwind, and learn, place themselves with the plant. So what is Recreate and how, how do you all incorporate that into the cannabis industry there? Yeah, for sure. So Recreate is a project which I'm engaged in with First Man from the Rasta Indigenous Village. And um, we're looking at the incorporation of psychedelics in a tourist space, but also in a I don't want to say healing because I don't want it to become medical, but in an ex- in a way in which people can expand upon themselves, you know, take a chance to look at themselves and experience who they are while using cannabis or while using like psilocybin and expand upon their consciousness. So, you know, who are you when you're in this space, when you have people chanting um, and drumming around you. How are you feeling? How is this different than the day-to-day hustle you're feeling in a concrete jungle in downtown Toronto? <laughs> you know, how, how, what does relaxation look like for you? You know, when you engage or you consume cannabis as part of your morning meditation and you're by a river versus, you know, listening to water on a podcast because, <laughs> you know, you're not anywhere close to it. So, you know, I think recreate part of the the development of it is, um, you know, appreciating that there's a lot to offer in nature and um, finding ways for us to connect and reconnect back to that space and reconnect back to ourselves and reconnect back to our communities. Yeah. And so we decided, you know, a great way to do this would be to invite people to come down to Jamaica and um, we put together a program in which they would participate in a variety of activities that enabled that type of personal expansion. So doing journaling, doing visits to rivers, doing trips to sacred waters, you know, consuming cannabis, consuming psilocybin in spaces where the setting has been created and feeling safe and a person's able to relax and reflect upon themselves and, and grow spiritually. And I think, you know, for me, one of the pieces I'm really interested in is from a research perspective also is looking at how like our Western models of health and wellness compare to what we are developing with Recreate and taking a look at how people are feeling at the end of one week versus how they might be feeling at the end of six months of Western chemical therapy. Right. And so, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting space where we want people to just expand and, and reconnect with themselves. Yeah, I know you said you don't want to refer to it as simply healing, but like that's, that's here and you, um, explain it. I, I already begin to feel relaxed. I feel as though I'm a bit more unwind. I'm now just hearing the experience because places like that, I think we need to encourage it, um, more and as well as have more places like that because as we continue to grow and COVID would have been a great example of how our day-to-day living, not really the best for our health, not really the best if we want to develop wellness and holistic holistic healing. 
So that's a, a great approach to take and how to incorporate the plant into that um, aspect. A lot of persons now actually switch into alternative forms of medicine, alternative forms of relaxing and healing rather than using the the podcast as you would have said or or drinking a tea but looking outside of 10-story buildings and these different things. You know, it's a, it's a different um, change. You would have made mention of psilocybin. For, for those who probably are not aware, um, what, what exactly is that? Sure. Psilocybin is the active compound you would find in, in mushrooms, in magic mushrooms. And so when consumed, um, depending on the dose and depending on experience and the environment, um, a person can have various experiences, starting from very simply being an intensification maybe of sound or sight, music, things being, you know, vibrations being stronger. Consumed in larger quantities, people might experience, you know, hallucinations, projections outside of them, of themselves. The thing with um, any type of psychedelic, which you need to kind of keep in mind before consuming is that they are going to intensify what it is that you feel. I think the piece where, or the, the thing to keep in mind is that it does intensify thoughts and feelings. So if somebody is feeling anxiousness, it's important to know what your intention is when you're using psilocybin. So if you consume it and think, oh my God, I'm really anxious. And what is this going to do to me? And I'm not going to like it. Like you're, you're going to intensify that. Right. But if you go in feeling like, okay, I tend to have anxiety, but I really want to understand the root of this. I want to feel more peace with myself. I want to feel calmness. Then those might be the sensations that you're bringing forward as well. So there is a lot of conversation around intentionality when people are coming to recreate or the retreats, we get them to do a little uh, reflection upon themselves first and take a look at things like, you know, how well are you sleeping? Is that working well for you in your life? How well are you eating? Um, are you exercising? What's your substance use look like? And, you know, not that it needs to be abstinence, but are you comfortable with the substances that you're using? You know, we want people to then, you know, develop those intentions so that when they do consume the substances, it's those intentions that they're working on rather than being surprised by the drug itself and, you know, being like, oh, my God, I didn't expect to feel this or that. Um, they're going in with some goals, really. And then, you know, there's this opportunity to spend a week going through all these different activities and exercises that are expanding your sense of consciousness. And then at the end of the week, we're asking again, so how are you feeling now? You know, are you feeling more restful at night? Or is your mind a bit quieter today? You know, do you feel like you're able to um, do some yoga when you go home? Or was that just because you had me as your guide, you know, helping you do it? Like, what do you need to do to reintegrate these pieces back into your life when you're, you know, back in your space? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, I wouldn't call it a therapy. I would say it's, it's just another tool that people can add to their list of things that they're already doing to take care of themselves, um, but facilitated in a way that incorporates an indigenous structure that um, isn't really easily accessed in many places. I, I love I love that. And I want to have that experience that you are sharing across in, in Jamaica. Uh, what has the feedback been like in Jamaica in terms of the use of, of that though? Because I know for certain parts of any any world, it's a it's an okay thing. It's a it's a normal um substance to use. But in 
regions such as ours, I know that some persons may be more skeptical in terms of um using mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say that there's still some question around the use of psilocybin. Um, from a regulatory perspective, it's there aren't any regulations around the substance itself, so it's it's neither legal nor illegal. So there's that piece, and you know. There, so there is already a space of, of psilocybin use within the island itself. I think what's different about what we're looking to do is to really connect people back to self and nature versus a more clinical or, yeah, like more, a more clinical use of psilocybin. So I think, I think there's still some, well, I know that there's still some education needed around what, what the substance is and what its value is. And that's not, just the case for Jamaica, that's true for Canada as well. Like we're just getting to the point where we're prescribing psilocybin as, as a medicine to specific people for very specific reasons. And the research around it for treating different medical conditions like depression and anxiety, um, PTSD, whatnot, that's just starting. So I think everywhere there's a lot of work to still be done in this space. Okay, great. And for that reassurance, because as I said, there's uncertainty behind it. As as we begin to wind down, I like to get the guests to just share some advice in terms of persons who want to enter the industry or those who already have begun and just starting. With your wealth of experience both in Canada as well as um in Jamaica, what is some of the some advice that you would provide to, to those who now want to begin um within the cannabis industry? So regardless of what model you're working in, whether it's a medical model or a recreational model. What people are most interested in is really good weed, right? Like you gotta, you gotta have some good herb, <laughs> plain and simple. So I think, you know, some of your foundation is around, you know, your product and how you're either growing it or who you're partnering with <laughs> to be able to provide it. Yeah. So there would be that piece. I think, you know, what we've talked about a lot is making sure that you're including People who have been otherwise criminalized or stigmatized or stereotyped consumption to find ways to include those folks in the models. If not, you know, have some type of, uh, grant program, you know, that assists people to participate in the development. I think in terms of, I think, you know, professionalism is pretty important. Like in terms of herb houses or, even if it's the medical contact, I think it's important to remember that people are choosing to use cannabis because they identify it provides value in their life and that that needs to be recognized and the conversations around it need to be believed. You know, it's not, you know, just a stoner substance, for example. It is something that provides either comfort or pain relief or provides strength or, you know, just has a role which works well. And we need to, we need to be hold that in each and every conversation we have with people around their desire to access it and how they consume it. You know, we need to really take away a lot of the stereotypes about who accesses it and talk about the different ways in which cannabis can benefit people from, you know, children all the way up into seniors. And we need to look at the, that different people, given their history of consumption, will benefit from different modes of, of ingestion. So, 
in Jamaica, for example, right now, it, there's only smokable formats that are available. But some people benefit from ingesting cannabis. It's a longer acting substance. When that happens, they might get a deeper relief in their body from that. So be thoughtful about not everyone responds the same way to the same format or to the same substance and provide that variety. That variety is more about being holistic in your treatment rather than uh, than anything else. You know, in the earlier days when we were doing advocacy work and trying to trying to work with the government about what a medical program would look like, it was good to have different networks of uh, organizations come together and put together sort of like a patient's bill of rights or put together what a fair access to cannabis would look like. So if you're for Trinidad, for example, if there isn't any medical access yet, you know, maybe there's a group of doctors, lawyers, social workers, you know, patients themselves that could put together this argument around like this is why we need medical access, you know, because we need medical access because the product will be um, tested or regulated. It could be accessed in a safe manner. Um, people who are medical can possess more than what is permitted under a decriminalized framework. So they can, you know, have the, the quantities that they need to feel well. So I think, you know, there's, there's that role of advocacy in the early stages. Um, that is definitely, definitely needed advocacy and education. Yeah, I definitely agree. They sound wisdom and advice um, provided and many things for us to consider um, in Trinidad and Tobago and even other parts of the, the region. So, Teresa, as we wind, I'd like to get some personal development questions from the guests as well, just to allow the audience to sort of connect to the human side, because sometimes we forget we are actual human outside of our titles and our business and these different things. So what is one book that you have used um, throughout your life that has benefited you or added value? Um, One book. That's a really good question. Huh. 1984 <laughs> was, was a good book. Um, just looking at the way that the government can, can be controlling over us and, you know, how to operate within it. I also liked the book The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in sort of following your path and your journeys as it unravels ahead of you, sometimes taking risks that you're not ready for, but going there. Yeah, I've, I've heard about those two books and I haven't read them as yet, but seeing as how they keep on coming back, I definitely need to, to get those two books in my hand and read. Our next question we, we love to ask, and I personally love this question because I've gotten some really amazing music. But what is one artist or a song that you always go back to no matter what? I love um, Tracy Chapman. I would say Tracy Chapman has been guiding me since I was maybe 19. And that's a few decades now. So, you know, with Tracy, it's um, Fast Cars. And also, she's got her ticket. <laughs> so... Yeah, I would say definitely, definitely Tracy. And then um, the other one is Redemption Song by Bob. Yeah, it's I, I still continue to sing it and sing it with friends. And I really love the idea of emancipating yourself from mental slavery. That, that 
particular line in the song speaks volumes to me um, because I do actually think it is really ourselves that limit ourselves from future possibilities. So Agreed, agreed. And one last question. What's your favorite food? My favorite food. That's a good one. Ice cream? Is ice cream a food? <laughs> okay. It's a food group. I think ice cream should be a food group. Yeah, I love ice cream. Um, that's definitely my comfort food. And right now, a lot of sushi. I've been eating a lot of sushi. Sushi has been making waves recently. Like, so many people I know now, sushi is in their top food. Yeah, that would be like my, you know, if we, if we were to have a dinner together with friends, we'd be sharing a plate of food, everyone grabbing a different roll, um, using our chopsticks and having some conversation. So. Okay, awesome. And Teresa, for those who want to connect with you or find out more about your, your work with Recreate, um, Isopia Life, how, how can they connect with you? Yeah, my, I probably the easiest would be through email. So it's, uh, the email address is recreateplantmedicine at gmail.com. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. So you can find me by my name, Teresa Kozak. And recreate's also on Instagram, <laughs> Facebook. I think most of the platform. Okay, lovely. So I'll add that in the show notes so that viewers can easily find and access you. Well, Teresa, it has been an amazing conversation. I learned a lot, not just about in Jamaica, but even in Canada and where we are at. I think many persons, when they look outside of the Caribbean, they see you all as way ahead in terms of the cannabis um, industry. And what you would have explained is that we are ahead and more progressive in certain areas. And I think that's something that we need to appreciate and consider as we, as we move forward. So I just want to thank you again for taking the time to, to join us on the Caribbean Cannabis channel and sharing your your wisdom, your knowledge, and your great energy. Because I've been feeling your energy through, through the Zoom call. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Hi, give thanks for listening to another episode of the Caribbean Cannabis channel. Be sure to like, share, and follow to stay up to date with all the development and behind the scenes happening across the Caribbean cannabis community. Until next time, remember to meditate and educate.